0: Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today we're going to be taking a look at the Lenten season, but more specifically, we're going to be talking about the first day of In the Lenten season, we're talking about Ash Wednesday, and we pray that not only will this program in general help you understand the reason behind Lent and our Lenten journey to the cross and empty tomb, but many of the things that are done on Ash Wednesday that you will see in church only on Ash Wednesday Pastor, uh, you grew up in a non-Lutheran tradition. You came into the Lutheran church. You went to a Lutheran uh, college, uh, Lutheran seminary. You served in North Dakota for eight years before coming to Good Shepherd. I can only imagine that you have seen a wide, wide variety of practice with regard to Ash Wednesday, you wanna you wanna share some of the things that you have seen and witnessed and experienced over the years before we talk about what is um, Lutheran Christian traditional practice with regard to the first day in Lent. Well, sure. Um- There is a
1: wide variety of things that happen on Ash Wednesday uh, for those who even do practice it. There are many who just kind of ignore it, and the season of Lent isn't a big deal. Or, um, you know, when I was growing up in the Disciples of Christ Church, it was kind of a time for uh, skits and things like that in church to, uh, you know, try and teach you some sort of moral value or a a way to live your life. Um, I've seen... um, Drive through ashes uh, up in Fargo, where you could, um, you know, pull up to a a person on the side of the road and they would do ashes on your forehead in the car rather than having it as a part of a church service. I've seen, um, and in North Dakota, it was the ELCA, and I'm not not trying to lay anything. down here in Lincoln, I don't know what happens here, but in uh, North Dakota there was a couple ELCA churches that mixed glitter into the ashes to teach us about transgenderism and homosexuals, so that you'd have glitter on your forehead instead of ashes, um, and then there's the traditional... Um, Ash's application that takes place on Ash Wednesday, and uh, with that there's always the two groups, the group that really understands what it means and is repentant, and then also those who get the cross on their forehead to show everybody, hey, look at me, I went to church, how come you didn't? And uh, so we have all these things going on, um, the different ways that people, I don't know if celebrates the right word, but observe Ash Wednesday throughout the world.
0: Yeah, I I think you've set us up very, very well there. Um, When when I was young, growing up in a uh, town that was about 49% Lutheran and 49% Roman Catholic and 2% other, uh, the only people in town that did any kind of ashes on Ash Wednesday or made a big deal out of the outward sign and symbolism on Ash Wednesday were the Roman Catholics. And so the Lutherans then, because they wanted to distinguish themselves from the Roman Catholics, the Lutherans did not participate in any kind of uh, imposition of the ashes at all. This was a matter of confession to not do it. And so I, I think many of those uh, harsh anti-roman catholic ideas and sentiments uh have mostly gone away. I don't want to say they've gone away completely, but they've mostly gone away so that people can take a good, honest look at certain practices in the church to say, is this a Christian practice? Is this a biblical practice? And if we have this in common with other denominations, praise be to God. And if we don't, well, sadly, there's one more division. And it, it is kind of a sorry for interrupting. No, go
1: ahead. It is kind of a sad thing when um, the mark of being Lutheran is just not looking like the Catholics. I think sometimes we have that issue. Um, the same time we say that, you know, we're, we're not Catholic, so we're not going to do this, we're not going to dress this way, we're not going to wear these vestments. Uh, at the same time, then, what's the hymn that we all love, right? On Eagle's Wings, which is written by Catholics. <laughs> so it's just kind of ironic in that way, and I didn't mean to interrupt. And just no, I I, here. Uh,
0: that, that just adds to everything that I'm saying. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. Growing up, uh, you know, I'm in my early 60s, and growing up in the 60s and 70s in the church, one of the big worship services in the church was Ash Wednesday. In the early days of the Synod, when people only received the Lord's Supper four times a year, Ash Wednesday was one of those four. And so Ash Wednesday, along with Christmas Eve and Easter Sunrise Service, were the three services where you had to get chairs out. That's how packed the church was. And it was a big deal. But as far as the symbolism and... um, you know, making, making a big deal about what color is on the altar, what the pastors are wearing, the imposition of the ashes. These things were far, far away from anything that I experienced as a young boy, teenager, and even young adult. And then it was in the uh, late 80s, early 1990s, when we got a pastor, a uh, very good pastor, and a very very good preacher. But he was the one that started a crusade to start and introduce the imposition of ashes into this anti-Roman Catholic Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in West Point, Nebraska. And now, uh, almost 30 years later, it's a tradition. Nobody even thinks about it. But it was not an easy thing to do to introduce this uh, imposition of Ashes, Ash Wednesday tradition, which goes back way, 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 way before uh, there were Lutherans and Catholics. So, Pastor, before we let this entire first segment go away, um, Ashes on Ash Wednesday, what's the big deal?
1: Well, um The ashes on Ash Wednesday are a symbol, and and that's important us to understand. They are not a sacrament. They do not deliver forgiveness of sins to us. It is not uh, a way that we're getting closer to God or anything, but it is uh, a symbol of who we are and what God does for us. And so in that regard, in a way, it's kind of a confession of faith, uh, if you will, not in the same sense that the creeds are, but in a a minor sense. And so the ashes are placed on our forehead in the shape of a cross, and they are black ashes uh, from the palms that were used in the previous Palm Sunday. The black and the ashes is a biblical symbol, and maybe in the next segment we can look at some of the places in Scripture where it talks about ashes, but uh, it is a sign of mourning, of repentance, of things that have gone wrong uh, in our lives, and acknowledging that before God and before our neighbors. And so that black ash symbolizes our sin and what we've done wrong. And at the same time, then, the shape of the cross symbolizes the rescue from these sins and from these terrors and difficulties of this world, and that is Jesus Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. And so the ashes on our forehead have both of those symbolisms uh,
0: taking place within them. Now, Pastor, when you talk about uh, making something on your forehead in the sign of a cross, I cannot help but think about holy baptism. Because when an individual is baptized, a child or an adult, it doesn't matter, when the individual is baptized, the pastor makes the sign of the cross both upon their forehead and their heart, marking them as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. That's straight out of our our liturgy. And when we are marking someone's forehead in the sign of the cross, Uh, There has to be some baptismal connection there. Only this time, rather than doing it um, uh, dry or with water, now we are doing it with ashes. So how are we connected to baptism in Ash Wednesday? Yeah, uh, well... Obviously, there is the the
1: symbolism that you just talked about, receiving the sign of the cross upon our forehead and our heart, which is also what we remember every time we make the sign of the cross in the service during the uh, invocation, the um, absolution, the dismissal, the benediction, all these things where we make the sign of the cross. And those are marked in your hymnal with the uh, the little maroon cross um, right where we can do that. Um, So that is one of the connections. We also have the reality that uh, these ashes we Put on our forehead are dirty, and we have to wash them off eventually, reminding us that our sins are washed away in the waters of holy baptism. Uh, And I think we also, and, and I don't know how much we want to go down this path, we have this idea of anointing that's taking place as well because it's not just ash that we put on the forehead, but uh, the ash is usually mixed with oil, helps it to stick, and that was also an indication in the Old Testament times of um, receiving a blessing or an anointing from God as well. And so lots and lots of things being carried into
0: th- this particular practice. You anoint kings and you anoint priests— And there's that symbolism that goes along with holy baptism. And And, the sick and the dying and things like that as well. uh, Baptism is a, you know, when we think of Romans 6, we're thinking of death and resurrection. Lent is a preparation for our Easter celebration. So we have a dying and a rising there. Rebirth and renewal, that's the whole springtime uh, thing that happens, you know, at the outside the walls, the same time Lent is going on. And it's also talking, you know, Jesus says, whoever would follow me, uh, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. And now when we put that cross on our forehead, that's, a, that's an outward show that I am a disciple of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, we don't want to use it as a good luck charm or to be braggadocious either. But most of the world, when they see somebody on Ash Wednesday with ash on their forehead, they laugh and mock anyway. So we don't have that, too much of that going on. When we come back from our break, Pastor, I wanted to, you mentioned, you know, some of the biblical passages or places where there are ash. But what I want to focus on are the words that the pastor says when the ashes are placed on the forehead. Remember that you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Uh, This is this is a paraphrase, but it comes right from the holy scriptures. And we want to go there to begin. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at the theology and worship of Ash Wednesday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
2: Thousand, thousand be, Jesus,
0: unto thee. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. In this episode 34, we're taking a look at the theology and practice of Ash Wednesday. A uh, big, big deal for some churches. Other churches, uh, you would never know that there was such a thing as Ash Wednesday. And so we're talking about uh, some of the theology behind Ash Wednesday, some of the uh, practices that are unique in Christendom with regard to this beginning of the Lenten season. The the word Lent is uh, a word that Is roughly translated spring or springtime. And while it is variable based on the date of Easter, uh, it usually covers that transitional period. And we see that a lot in the Midwest states that transitional period in March and April, where things go from brown on the outside to green on the outside. We see from death to life visibly outside. and that's exactly uh, what's happening theologically on the inside with our emphasis during this 40day Lenten season. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday and many churches, uh, including Good Shepherd, uh, offers. It's not a requirement, it's not a law. There's much freedom in this, but we offer, the imposition of ashes, where people are able to come forward before the worship service on Ash Wednesday and receive the sign of the cross placed on their forehead. Pastor uh, Moline in the earlier segment talked about how these uh, ashes are traditionally ashes that come from the palms of On Palm Sunday, they're saved, they're dried, they're burned up and ground into ashes, mixed with a little bit of uh, olive oil or uh, some other kind of palm oil, and uh, then they're put on the forehead. Uh, And while they are put on the forehead, this is how we ended our last segment, the pastor says, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, that's about as morbid a statement as you can possibly imagine, uh, Pastor. I don't know what your I don't know what your uh, history experience has been here. Uh, I've taught people that after the pastor says these words, an appropriate response is "Amen." You believe it's true, but I am shocked how many people, when they receive this, the crosses on their forehead, again, in the shape of a cross, uh, the ashes on their forehead, and they hear those morbid words from Genesis 3, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. How many people say, thank you? Um, And what, what what an amazing, almost curious response, but you can't say thank you unless you know that those words aren't the last words. Pastor, um, talk about those words, where they come from, why they're important, uh, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think even striking is when, uh, you know, uh, as a pastor, I've put ashes on my infant children, uh, their forehead, and said those same words. And you think about it. An infant in our mind has all their life ahead of them, so much potential, so many things to go. And yet, as Christians, we still confess the truth. One day that child will die because of sin, and only Christ is their rescue. Uh, And so that is uh, very sobering in that regard as well. The words uh, that we say... Uh, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return, are words that come out of Genesis chapter 3. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 that original sin enters the world. Uh, Adam and Eve disobey God's word and uh, eat from the tree they were commanded not to. They break the the big law that God has put into place, and as a result, um, sin enters the world and where there's sin, and there's also death following right behind it. And so God does many things. He speaks to uh, Adam and Eve uh, and goes down the line, and they pass the buck. And, you know, it's not my fault, it's that person's fault, showing that they already have sin. They try to hide it and cover it up uh, by their own human works and means, uh, using palm branches, and it doesn't work. Uh, It needs God to come and deal with this particular situation. In the midst of all these uh, discussions, God also... Uh, speaks a word to each person involved in the sin. Uh, to the woman, he promises that there will be a Savior that is—sorry, to the, the to Satan, he promises that there'll be a Savior for mankind that will crush ser- Satan's head, uh, even as Satan tries to bruise his heel, pointing us to Christ. Uh, to the woman, he says that uh, the Savior will be born from you, and as a result, the uh, childbearing and uh, birthing process will be much more painful and difficult as a reminder— of the uh, suffering that the Savior will one day have to face. And then we also have uh, a word to Adam that says, uh, because of this, there's gonna be this curse upon the land, you're gonna have to work really hard uh, to provide for yourself and for your family. And as a part of that one, we have verse 19, which says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, And that brings us back then to the creation of mankind, where God formed the man from the dust to the ground and breathed the the breath of life into him. Uh, Just as he came out of dust, so into dust man shall return. And that very, very clearly seen as we think about what happens to our bodies once they're buried. Um, they decompose, they fall apart, they uh, become the dust. And, the, you know, we used to sing when we were kids, the worms crawl in and the worms crawl out. Uh, that's the reality that awaits each one of us when we die, that our body will decompose and return to the dust. And so that's where that reminder comes from, those words that we say on Ash Wednesday.
0: Even uh, even the children's game, you know, I, I remember when I was little, kids would play Ring Around the Rosie. And the historical origins of "Ring Around the Rosie" are the uh, the Black Plague in Europe, and the children are dancing around ashes, ashes, all fall down. That's the, they're all dead. That's yeah. the that's the word picture even in that game. And if parents knew that that's what was going on, they wouldn't want their kids to play that game. Yeah. And yet, the reality of death. I know I can think of many times, Pastor. We're on Ash Wednesday. I'm standing up in the pulpit or from behind the altar, and I look out and I see family, friends, young, old, all with the ashes on their forehead. And to say that that is a sobering thing for a pastor is the biggest understatement in the history of the world. To think about, I'm going to have to do many of these people's funeral. And here, we're celebrating the gift of life in and through Jesus Christ. And it It is, it is, I, I can't describe
1: it. And it, it kind of uh, takes away, uh, in, in our society, we try to sanitize death so much, right? So uh, when a person gets sick and death looks imminent, we have something called hospice, which is a great thing, and I'm not putting it down, but what does it do? It, uh, it administers drugs to keep the person calm and relaxed while they're dying uh, so that we don't see the thrashing about and the pain and the screaming and the yelling. I mean, sometimes we still see that. I remember there was a guy dying from stomach cancer and there wasn't much they could do to stop the pain. And for six weeks, every breath he took, he said, help, 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 help help and his body was thrashing and his family was there and they were terrified that's the reality of death and then when the person dies what do we do well we take their body and we uh take care of it by cleaning it up getting it all um glued into place and and primped and prettied again so that they don't look like they're dead but they actually look like they're alive we put makeup on to give color to their skin um and uh And so we sanitize death we don't realize the reality of what it's like and when we put those ashes on our forehead and say you are dust into dust you shall return it takes that whole sanitizing out of the way so that we can see face to face uh the reality of what awaits us
0: ash wednesday is a rare moment of honesty where we admit our mortality and we also give thanks for the fact that our hope, our only hope, is in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. Pastor, there, there are um, a lot of variations and a lot of options with regard to Ash Wednesday. We talked about how here at Good Shepherd, people have the option of receiving the ashes on their forehead before the service begins. This is a somber time there's no there's no uh, rock and roll band going on. There's no uh, uh, coffee sales out in the narthex. This is somber. this is quiet. and uh, then afterwards, the pastors enter in in silence and occasionally you would have a Uh, a Lenten hymn that would talk about uh, Savior went in dust to thee or uh, Jesus I will ponder now or something like that. But most often we go right into the Ash Wednesday litany. Now the litany is the same litany that is in our hymnal that we use on a regular basis but for certain special occasions this litany has a few little extra features in it. And most often that is in that very first uh, little introduction or the first couple of paragraphs before the litany. Uh, do you have that, that uh, introduction for the Ash Wednesday litany in front of you, Pastor? Sure. Okay, do you want to share that with our people? Then I think we'll have some time for a little bit of reflection.
1: Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, On this day, the church begins a holy season of prayerful and penitential reflection. Our attention is especially directed to the holy sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. From ancient times, the season of Lent has been kept as a time of special devotion, self-denial, and humble repentance, born of a faithful heart that dwells confidently on his word and draws from it life and hope. Let us pray that our dear Father in heaven, for the sake of his beloved Son, and in the power of his Holy Spirit, might richly bless this Lenten tide for us, so that we may come to Easter with glad
0: hearts and keep the feast in sincerity and truth. Pastor, with about a minute left in this segment, your reflections on that introduction for the litany for Ash Wednesday. Well,
1: I think it's really good because it tells you why we're doing what we're doing. And, um... Whenever the church service takes time to do a thing like this, to have the pastor explain what's going on, that always indicates to us that the thing happening ought to be considered carefully, and uh, the importance of what's being done uh, to show us what it's reflecting and teaching us about our own reality spiritually, uh, physically, between us and God uh, is being done. And so it teaches us about the beginning of Lent, what the point of the whole season of Lent is, uh, and that it might also then prepare us for Easter, which is the thing that we're looking forward to
0: uh, six weeks later. Well said. When we come back, we're going to take a look a little bit more at the litany for Ash Wednesday. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 34. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. This week's church service is more than hymns and a sermon. Get a more in-depth study of this week's message with Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline on Proclaiming the One. Tune in Sundays at 12 p.m., Wednesdays at 11 a.m., Fridays at 11 a.m., and again at 6 p.m., and Saturdays at 10 a.m. For past episodes on demand, go to thecross957.org backslash proclaiming the One. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the theology and practice, some of the traditions around Ash Wednesday. At Home in Your Hymnal is to help you be at home in your hymnal, whether you are gathering in uh, corporate worship and today we're talking about the special opportunity for corporate worship on Ash Wednesday or whether you're using your hymnal at home for individual or family devotions. One of the things that we like to point out are the many, many features that make uh, your hymnal a an outstanding devotional uh, tool for you or uh, also for your family. On page 288 and 289, there is a brief prayer service called the litany. And this litany is an ancient, ancient form of prayer. And it is traditional at certain times of year to pray the litany. We pray the litany uh, right out of the hymnal. We pray the litany uh, often during the season of Lent. We pray the litany uh, a unique uh expanded litany on uh, during the Easter Vigil. There are other times, and a, a time that sometimes goes by the wayside is the Ash Wednesday Litany. We ended our previous segment with the introduction of the Ash Wednesday Litany. Litany. And before we talk about some of the unique features of this particular litany, some of the expanded parts here that are expanded from our traditional litany prayer that's on LSB page 288, Pastor, thoughts on the litany in general before we uh, come into some of these distinctive differences with Ash Wednesday?
1: Well, um, I guess what I would say is it's a prayer that we all probably ought to memorize, at least the way that it works. It's never exactly the same uh, at the deathbed or uh, from the hymnal or at Easter Vigil or even at Ash Wednesday service, but if you understand the way that it works, you're always able to pray it and to respond to it, because it does have a very structured format, and by memorizing it then, that teaches us a way to pray on a normal basis, to, uh, to use this prayer and to build on it and to take its format and and, uh, adjust it to whatever our needs are at the time we're praying. The word litany itself comes from a Greek word, uh, litanos, which means supplication, and that kind of gives you an idea of what the prayer is. But it is a prayer that's supposed to be prayed back and forth um, with one person saying a petition and the other person responding, or you can pray it yourself the same way, Uh, but that's kind of what it is, and it's one that Christians ought to know.
0: The prayer uh, has a series of very basic, very common responses, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, things that you will recognize uh, right away. The prayer also spells out the person and work of Jesus. Um... The Holy Incarnation, Nativity, Baptism, Fasting, Temptation, Agony, Bloody Sweat, Cross, Passion, Death, Burial, Resurrection, Ascension, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. It it recounts the entirety of the faith in this short little prayer. And we want to talk about some of the distinctive features of this uh, particular prayer here. And uh, Pastor, do you want to talk about... The uh, to prosper the preaching of your word, that part of the prayer. Do you want to uh, share share with us what that is and why that is an addition during the Ash Wednesday se- uh, celebration service?
1: Yeah, um, is the uh, I don't know if it's the middle section uh, you would say of the litany. Uh, we we have this petition. We begin with, We poor sinners implore you to hear us, O Lord. And then we tell him the things that we'd like for him to hear us say. And uh, the first one of those in this particular Ash Wednesday one is to prosper the preaching of your word, to bless our prayer and meditation, to strengthen and preserve us in the true faith, to give heart to our sorrow and strength to our repentance. And I think that last word there is the key. The season of Lent is a season of repentance. And uh, that means self-reflection upon our sin, uh, desiring to turn away from it and to have faith in Jesus Christ. All these things are caught up in the word repentance. Um, and so how does that happen? And the answer is given in this petition through the preaching of God's Word, through our prayer and meditation on God's Word. Uh, In those ways, we are strengthened and preserved in the true faith, and so we're asking that during this season of Lent, we might be eager to hear God's Word, to believe it, and to understand its implications for us and for
0: our life. Faith comes by hearing, God's word is clear. And to ask God to bless the preaching of the word is an appropriate prayer 365 days a year, of course. But as we hear the word of God, we believe the word of God, and we respond to the word of God. And the specific response that we are praying for during this Lenten season is a repentant heart and a turning to repentance and strength to be truly repentant. It is a magnificent prayer. Now, the next petition, and again, we have three specific petitions here in this Ash Wednesday litany that are not in the regular litany. So the next one, um, golly, is is this a mission and evangelism kind of a petition? Pastor, do you want to pray that and then expound on it? Yeah.
1: um, Once again, we poor sinners implore you to hear us, O Lord, to draw all to yourself, to bless those who are instructed in the faith, to watch over and console the poor, the sick, the distressed, the lonely, the forsaken, the abandoned, and all who stand in need of our prayers to give abundant blessing to all works of mercy, and to have mercy on us all. And uh, there's several different things here, and so it's not necessarily just one unit, but we have to understand what Lent is. So the first part here is to draw all to yourself and to bless those who are instructed in the faith. In the uh, early church and uh, for a long time within the church, The season of Lent was the season of catechism class. In fact, we have recorded for us that in the uh, first few centuries of the Christian church, uh, the season of Lent would be a time when if you wanted to become a Christian, you took off from your job, and you dressed in uh, penitential clothing that was scratchy and uncomfortable and kind of uh, dingy looking, and you spent all day every day for the 40 days of Lent learning the faith from your pastor. And at the end of that then was the Easter vigil when you were baptized and brought into the church so that you might celebrate uh, your first Lord's Supper communion service uh, at the Easter Vigil, uh, the Easter celebration that year. And uh, so we still have this idea that um, the season of Lent is a season of catechesis and instruction in the Christian faith. And so we're praying here that that might go well uh, for our congregation, especially those people who are being instructed that they might learn and believe. The next one then is uh, to watch over and console the poor, the sick, the distressed, the lonely, the forsaken, the abandoned, and all who stand in need of our prayers. This is a general prayer for all the people we normally pray for uh, who are Uh, Christians who are dealing with some sort of difficulty that during the season of Lent, uh, we might remember them, care for them, provide for them just as we normally do as well. Uh, And that kind of flows then into the next one. Both these things, the instruction and the care for our neighbor, uh, are works of mercy that we give to our neighbor. And as we end there, we see we have mercy on our neighbor because God first has
0: mercy on us. One of the things that stuck out to me, Pastor, was in that first petition where it's talking about blessing our repentance and strengthening my repentance. And now this second petition looks outside of me. The first one is to look inside, the second one is to look outside and to be able to pray for others is a Christ-like thing to do because most of us are so selfish and so self-absorbed that we don't have time to think about anybody else's needs or anybody else's problems. And so this prayer is not only praying for those outside of us, but it is teaching us to pray for those outside of us, to look outside of our own heart, outside of our own little circle. And I think that is a tremendous blessing as well. The next petition then talks about turning. And when you hear that word turning, uh, you always think of repentance because that's what uh, repentance means, to make an about-face from your sin. That last little section there, Pastor. To turn our hearts to you, to turn the hearts of our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and graciously to hear our prayers. So what is this turning going on, and why are we worried about our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers?
1: Well, uh, once again, that uh, our hearts might be turned to God, uh, repentance, that uh, that we might understand that for the entire season of Lent. The next part then also is, uh, boy, it's accomplishing what Jesus tells us we ought to do, pray for those who persecute her persecute us um, and uh, those who wish to do us harm. And that's what we're doing here. We are asking that those people who are against the church might repent of their sin and be a part of the church as well. Uh, And so once again, we're praying for ourselves and for also the enemies of the church rather than, as is uh, politically popular today, tearing them down, destroying them, and making them look foolish. We actually just pray that they would repent
0: and be one of us. Amen. Amen. Now, in the, in the litany, in the hymnal, it says, uh, you may conclude with a collect and uh, the Lord's Prayer. Here in our Ash Wednesday litany, we have a specific Ash Wednesday collect that has been provided for us. And uh, in the time that we have left, let's take a look at this colic, Pastor. I'm going to pray it, and then I'm going to ask you to reflect upon it. (sighs) O God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they turn from their wickedness and live. We implore you to have compassion on the frailty of our mortal nature, for we acknowledge that we are dust, and to dust we shall return mercifully pardon our sin, that we may obtain the promises you have laid up for those who are repentant. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pastor, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's summarizing what uh, our entire season of Lent and specifically this Ash Wednesday service is about. Uh, God does not want want us to die. That's not the way he built us or designed us in the beginning, and yet because of our sin, that's the reality. And so we're praying that we uh, might be turned from death into eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might um, be forgiven for all of our sins and weaknesses and frailties, uh, and that we might understand who we are and where we stand, and that we have no Uh, no say before God in our salvation, but only
0: God does in Jesus Christ uh, who saves us by the cross and resurrection. We are indeed mortal, dust, and to dust we shall return. But that is not the end of the story. Christ is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 34. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back.
2: You are listening to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. The man has mourned it patiently, even death by crucifixion falls.
0: Welcome once again, and welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is episode 34. We're taking a look at the Ash Wednesday worship service, the theology and practice, not only of Ash Wednesday, but taking a wider look at some of our Lenten themes and Lenten practices as well. The hymn that we've heard as our bumper music for today, Christ the life of all the living, Christ the death of death our foe, Uh, a great Lenten hymn, and every time I hear that hymn, I think about our brother. Brothers and Sisters in Christ in the Lutheran Church in Haiti. This was the uh, standard and traditional communion hymn that uh, the folks in Haiti sang. And uh, two of my uh, dearest, dearest friends in Haiti, uh, Pastor Louis and also Pastor Louis' brother-in-law, Leonard, over the last few years have been murdered for the faith. And I long and look forward to seeing them once again in heaven. We looked in our last segment, Pastor, at the Ash Wednesday litany. And uh, thank you. I think you did a marvelous job of unpacking that prayer and also the specifics that we're praying for during Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. After the Ash Wednesday litany, which also follows the imposition of pra- uh, ashes, if your church chooses to do that, or if you and your Christian freedom choose to do that. What comes next in the worship service then, Pastor?
1: Well, uh, generally it's confession and absolution. And uh on Ash Wednesday, we have the option we can do the one that we normally do on Sundays, or we also are encouraged to do the corporate confession and absolution as it's found on page 290 in our hymnal, which is the same sort of thing, but it's a little bit more, um, I don't want to say drawn out, but uh, expanded and— and uh, Reflective? Yes, detailed. And so it starts with a confessional address that explains what confession and absolution is. And, and before we get to that, maybe even I should say this— It's really great because what have we got on our forehead? We have these ashes that tell us who we are. Uh, What have we just prayed in the litany that we're sinners and that we ask God to give us mercy and grace and peace uh, according to his grace? And, and now we're going to confess our sins here so that we can, after all these things, hear the absolution where the words are spoken that our sins are forgiven by Christ's death on the cross and our glorious um, uh, Savior's work of resurrection as well. And so um, corporate confession and absolution uh, begins with the confessional address in which we say we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. And so we want to be honest and truthful about who we are. We are sinners. We are guilty. We have gone against God's word uh, by thought, word, and deed. Uh, We're going to talk about what Christ's body and blood is and how that brings us forgiveness so that we might understand that and believe that. And uh, then we're going to get into the confession of our sins here after that. And so um, it's really a great way to continue the Ash Wednesday service to prepare us for the season of Lent
0: and probably something we ought to do more than just at Ash Wednesday during the season of Lent. You know, in our catechism, and sometimes we just need to return to the basic ABCs of the faith in the catechism. In the catechism, we see that repentance is not one part, repentance is not three parts, repentance is two parts. That we confess our sins and receive absolution from the pastor as if from God Himself. One part confession is the kind of confession that you do when you uh, do a fifth step uh, with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous or Sex Addicts Anonymous, something like that, where you confess your sin. Uh, You bear your soul. Confession is good for the soul. That's what we hear in the world today. But in these uh, fifth step programs, you never hear that your sin is forgiven. There is only confession. There is no absolution. At the time of the Reformation, there was a three-part confession where you would confess your sins, you would hear from the pastor or priest that your sins were forgiven, and then you were told the conditions, the restrictions, or the satisfactions that you had to go and perform in order to make sure that you were really, really, really forgiven. It was really up to you. Confession is two parts. Pastor, why is this such a distinctively Lutheran thing and distinctively Christian thing that we have to, have to, have to get right? Well, uh, having those two parts where we confess and then we hear the
1: forgiveness is Christian and Lutheran and all the rest. And, uh, you know, when I say Christian, I mean Lutheran, and Lutheran means Christian. They really are the same thing. Um, boy,
0: I don't know. That's going to get me in trouble probably. But um, well, You've said that enough over over all these programs. I think people understand what you mean. We're not saying yeah. if you're not Lutheran, you're going to hell or anything like that. Okay, continue. So, um It's important to
1: get it right because it leaves salvation and forgiveness completely in God's lap, and it doesn't have any strings attached that allow us to grab a hold of and think that we're responsible for our sin uh, or feel the guilt and need to accomplish something to have forgiveness of sins. Uh, Having two parts of confession and absolution means that Jesus does all that is necessary so that we don't have to go to hell for
0: eternity. That is why... Uh, two-part confession or confession and absolution in the Lutheran church is, in a sense, one of the most scandalous things that you can possibly have in a church. Forgiveness, full and free, no strings attached. Can we trust the gospel enough to be that radical and that liberal with our forgiveness? God is for us can we now for others there's another reason for us to repent pastor during this season uh of lent and i think uh i think we underscore that uh or undervalue that way 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 too much i think this is something that we should be shouting from the mountaintops in our churches about this radical nature of confession and absolution and why it is vital it is the lifeblood of the christian faith we have this confession and absolution and then we sing Lenten hymns, and and we have uh, other aspects, but pretty much we just go through the divine service then after this. One distinctive feature in the Ash Wednesday service for many churches is the use of Psalm 51. Pastor, why is Psalm 51 so often the go-to psalm for Ash Wednesday? (laughs) Well,
1: because it's the psalm that's connected directly with King David when he committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the person he committed adultery with and uh, had his son, born from that adulterous relationship, uh, dead. And so it is the psalm of confession and absolution. And for that reason, it is kind of fit in with all the things that we've been doing in our Ash Wednesday service because uh, we talk about confessing and receiving forgiveness and— there's really no better place uh in scripture that talks about this particular idea than
0: psalm 51 how would you i know we have an earlier program with at home in your hymnal with pastor morundi that talked about a uh, the importance of the psalter and a rediscovery of the psalter both in corporate worship and in individual uh devotional time how would you encourage people to use psalm 51 during their lenten journey Well, um,
1: you know, in North Dakota, we used it for our midweek services as the psalm each week, and uh, so I encourage the people listening to pray it on a regular basis during the season of Lent to read it. You could even put uh, the first 13 verses, if you will, uh, if not the whole thing, to memory um, and uh, to continue to keep it before you to understand what this whole season of Lent is all about uh, as you look forward to Good Friday, to Easter, and to the hope and promise that you get
0: on those days. Repetition is the mother of all learning, and there are certain things that it would be good to memorize or to attempt to memorize or teach your children to memorize during this season of Lent. Psalm 51 is a marvelous, marvelous place to start. It uh, it does... Uh, come up occasionally during the, ch- uh, the rest of the church here as well. But a Lenten focus on, on Psalm 51 would be a marvelous gift for you or for your family. Pastor, in the time that we have left, I want to talk just briefly about the Bible readings that are selected, the pericopes for Ash Wednesday. The introit, believe it or not, is not from Psalm 51. It is from Psalm 57. That is another great Lenten psalm, and uh, along with the other penitential psalms, Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, uh, and there there are seven penitential psalms that uh, would be also great for reflection during Ash Wednesday. The gospel reading, the traditional gospel reading for Ash Wednesday is from the Sermon on the Mount. And the traditional, traditional reading talks about when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Seems like an odd choice on a day (laughs) when we're going to put... Things on our foreheads that may be noticed by others.
1: In a, when Christ says these words, um, it's all about your heart, and that's what He's getting at right here. Is is the purpose of getting ashes on your forehead so that other people can see you and think how pious and holy you are? Or is it really truly a confession of who you are and what the consequences of your sin are and who your Savior is? And so it's a faith issue uh, more so than the actual
0: action issue, if that makes sense. does. It does. And um, in the Old Testament uh, reading, the traditional Old Testament reading is from Joel chapter 2. And that Joel passage, uh, let me look it up here, Joel 2. 12 to 19, that's the traditional one. And there's some... um, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your
1: heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Goes right along with
0: that gospel lesson. And in Divine Service Setting 1 in LSB, the Lenten response that replaces the Alleluia verse comes from there. Uh, Return to the Lord your God. Return to the Lord your God. Okay, so that's right where that comes from. The alternate, I think, is uh, amazing. The alternate Old Testament reading. And uh, so you would hear that in the churches that do the alternate readings every other year. Jonah 3, 1 to 10. Jonah 3, 1 to 10. Why is Jonah sometimes preached on or used during this season of Lent? Uh, well, boy, how, do, how long do we have... Uh, about a minute. So the the truth,
1: the book of Jonah is really, it has the guy being swallowed by the fish, but it's not really about that. It's, it's a comparison between these pagan people who hear the preaching of Jonah and the whole city repents in sackcloth and ashes from the king down to the lowest person uh, versus the people of Israel or really faithful people. Will they repent in the same way or not? And sad to say, oftentimes uh, people who are in the faith do not repent uh, with wholeheartedness, if you will. They just go through the motions or act like God's on my side, so who cares? And so the whole point of the book of, of Jonah really is even the last few verses where the question is asked, if these people repent, uh, will will the Israelites, right? Right. Um, that, that's kind of the idea, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, this great city where these people repented, uh, and also much cattle, even if, uh, if they repent, or should I just ignore them because they're not my chosen people? And the, the answer is the,
0: the key part. And again, that gets back to our litany, where first of all, we pray that God would bless us so that we can reflect upon our own heart. And then also, after reflecting on our own heart, to pray for our brothers and sisters, even our enemies, that they too would repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to At Home in Your Hymnal. This has been episode 34. We're looking at Ash Wednesday. We pray that God would richly bless you during the upcoming Lenten season in Jesus.